Hello, everyone. My name is Jonathan Van Maren. I'm so glad you could join us today. For those of you who have been following this podcast uh, for a couple of years or even for the last couple of months, you'll know that I generally don't use this podcast to give my own analysis of things. Generally, what I do is I interview activists, politicians, authors, journalists, experts, on different aspects of today's culture wars, on issues uh, ranging from abortion, transgenderism, the, the pelvic issues that seem to plague our society almost incessantly these days. But I don't, generally speaking, uh, sit down and give you my long-form opinion or analysis of various topics. And as those of you who have been listening along up to this point will know, I promised late last year that in 2019 we were going to do something a little different. And that is, in fact, the case. What we want to do is we want to start giving a weekly commentary, uh, taking a deep dive into a wide range of topics, some of them very current, some of them a bit historical, to give you a real in-depth understanding of what is going on today around the world in the culture wars. Because a lot of people, I find at least, who ask me at, at different speeches and lectures and presentations that I give uh, across North America, they'll always ask me, how did we get to this place? What is the story behind the story? Because the other issue, of course, is the fact that we can't trust our media. And I'm not just sort of talking about the hashtag fake news sort of thing. Uh, what I mean is that our media fundamentally is pro-abortion. Our media fundamentally has taken the side of the LGBT revolution. And thus, when they report on social conservatives, when they report on Christians, they come from the perspective of the sexual revolution. They come with the perspective that anything Christians have to say, for example, is controversial. It's sometimes kind of bizarre to read, actually. A Christian will say something that Christians have believed for 2,000 years, and the media, which is staffed by young journalists, many of whom have probably not been near a church or a Bible at all, uh, suddenly express shock. And there's a headline, Christian says he believes in traditional marriage, as if that's news. Or a Christian says he believes life begins at conception. Well, that's not quite the case, is it? Uh, it's embryology and science that tells us when life begins, not Christians. And that information actually isn't specifically found in the Bible and certainly isn't articulated in a scientific way. And so that headline isn't quite accurate. But that's the sort of thing that Christians and social conservatives have to deal with in the media. And so we rarely get a chance to really take a look at these issues from an accurate perspective. One of the other things that I find is very much the case very frequently is the media is just extremely lazy. I've been interviewed by a lot of TV shows and a lot of newspapers through my work as a pro-life activist and uh, my occasional sparking of controversy over something uh, that I wrote over at uh, my blog, The Bridgehead, which you can find at thebridgehead.ca. And generally speaking, what I find is that they have not done any research before they called me. They have zero interest in listening to what I actually have to say. What they're doing is they're trying to get the quote they want to fit into a story they've already written, if not on paper, then in their head, and then run the story that they intended to write long before they ever gave me a call.
That's sort of the way that our media functions, and that's why it's very unlikely that social conservatives are going to get the kind of in-depth analysis they need to understand the world that we are currently in from the traditional media. And so I think it's important that we have podcasts and alternative media to try and help people understand what's actually going on. And one of the things that I've noticed is that there, there's no podcast that deals explicitly and exclusively with social conservative issues. There's a lot of great podcasts uh, w- by people who are socially conservative and pro-life themselves. The Ben Shapiro Show is a good example of that. Uh, but even he deals mostly with conservative politics with an obvious focus on the Republican Party uh, because he's situated in California and he doesn't really deal in depth with most social issues, although I will say he's one of the few commentators who takes the time to articulate the case for life, which is something that pro-lifers have always been very grateful for. But what I want to do on this podcast is sort of take a deep dive into a wide range of issues to help us understand the world around us, to help us understand what's happening, and also to just to help you when you read the media to read in between the lines and see what's actually taking place that they're not telling you. For the first episode of The Culture Wars, I want to take a closer look at one of the most pro-abortion leaders in the world. I would actually say the most pro-abortion leader in the world, and that would be Canadian Prime Minister Justin Trudeau. Now, most of you have probably heard about Justin Trudeau because he's become a real wonder boy for a certain kind of progressive. You know, in the era of populism and Donald Trump and Brexit, a lot of people have really pointed towards Justin Trudeau as sort of a successor to Barack Obama. And in fact, former President Barack Obama clearly saw Justin Trudeau as the kind of guy who symbolized the same values that he did. And because of that attention, uh, Trudeau ended up on the front page of American magazines like Vanity Fair doing sort of sexy photo shoots with his wife. And so he's become quite a popular guy. Most people, however, probably don't realize how obsessed Justin Trudeau is with abortion. Although it is true uh, that most of you, if you've heard of Justin Trudeau, have probably heard of the fact that Justin Trudeau is a feminist. Because feminism is pretty much the only thing Justin Trudeau wants to talk about whenever he gets close to a microphone. When he was running for the leadership of the Liberal Party, he talked about how he was a feminist prime minister. And despite the fact that feminism is a pretty old ideology, he kept on acting like it took him a tremendous courage to say those words out loud. When the Me Too movement uh, manifested itself in Canada and a couple of politicians were accused of sexually inappropriate behavior, Justin Trudeau immediately pounced on them. Uh, Some of them were kind of kicked out of their jobs. And then Justin Trudeau did media interviews where he said he'd always been careful, he'd always been feminist, and he had never done anything that could be construed as inappropriate. And that lasted until we discovered last year uh, that back in Creston, B.C., years ago, uh, before he was a member of Parliament, uh, Justin Trudeau had been at this Uh, beer festival, uh, probably boozing it up, and he had groped a reporter, and he apologized to that reporter the next day for groping her, saying that he would not have been so forward if he had known that she was a reporter for a national newspaper. 
When this news broke, Justin Trudeau, the feminist-in-chief, responded by saying that he hadn't realized she was uncomfortable with the interaction, that he wasn't quite sure uh, if he remembered all the details of that reaction, but that we could all learn together that this particular story was an example of how people could understand things differently and could see interactions in a different way. And, of course, he didn't mention the fact that maybe uh, they experienced that interaction in a different way because one of them was doing the groping and the other one was the one getting groped, which is, of course, an entirely different experience. But he just moved right along, and because Canada's media enjoys fawning over Justin Trudeau, our feminist-in-chief has gone on to continue talking about feminism, and nobody sticks their hand up and asks the Prime Minister how he can still call himself a feminist and how he can still say he supports the Me Too movement, even though he himself did not get punished for doing the thing that he punished other people for doing. And actually, uh, you could argue that what Justin Trudeau did in groping a young reporter was worse than some of the other things other politicians did. But there's a different standard for Prime Minister Justin Trudeau uh, because Justin Trudeau supports all the right progressive causes. Which brings us back to abortion, which, as I mentioned before, Justin Trudeau is obsessed with. Now, some of you might say, well, obsession is the wrong way to put it. Look, Justin Trudeau might be pro-choice, but lots of leaders are pro-choice. So how do you know that Justin Trudeau is obsessed with abortion? And some people might accuse me of exaggerating or sort of, you know, resorting to hyperbole in order to smear an opponent that I obviously don't like because I work in the pro-life movement. So let me explain why I say that Justin Trudeau is not just your run-of-the-mill pro-choice liberal leader, but he's actually obsessed with abortion. And reason number one is that Justin Trudeau is more radical on the abortion issue than any other previous liberal leader. Now, first, I'm going to have to give you a little bit of background into the situation with abortion in Canada. So Justin Trudeau's father, who was also prime minister, Pierre Trudeau, uh, decriminalized abortion in 1969 with an enormous bill that liberalized divorce laws and did a whole bunch of things at the same time called the Omnibus Bill. And then in 1988, Canada's Supreme Court threw out all of the remaining abortion restrictions and basically said that the parliament had to redraft abortion laws and re-restrict abortion leaving us in the time in between the Supreme Court decision and the new legislation without any abortion laws whatsoever. So Canada had no laws on abortion at all. And Brian Mulroney's government actually tried to restrict abortion in the early 90s. They uh, put forward a bill that would have restricted abortion. Uh, but that bill, actually, after passing in the House of Commons, failed on a tie vote in the Senate. And... Essentially what happened is no politician wanted to touch the abortion issue again. And so here we are in 2019, and we are the only democratic country in the world where abortion is legal throughout all nine months of pregnancy, for any reason or for no reason. And every single one of those abortions, so that's about 300 abortions every day, 100,000 abortions every single year. Every single one of these is paid for by the Canadian taxpayer. So every Canadian taxpayer sees money go out of their wallet every month that funds the abortions that are taking places, place in clinics and in hospitals across the country. So keep in mind, Canada has a radical status quo. 
And the Liberal Party of Canada has always had a couple of members of Parliament who voted pro-life. There were members of Parliament over the past 20 years that would put forward uh, different bills like an Unborn Victims of Crime Act, for example. And there would always be a few Liberal members of Parliament who would vote against uh, or vote for that bill, pardon me, in spite of the fact that most of the Liberal Party members were pro-choice. And previous Liberal Prime Ministers, so that would be Jean Chrétien, it would be Paul Martin, and previous Liberal leaders uh, like Michael Ignatieff and Stéphane Dion, while they were pro-choice and the Liberal Party was pro-choice, they were okay with individual Liberal members of Parliament voting their conscience on this issue because it was a conscience issue. Well, then enter Justin Trudeau, who decided that conscience was a matter of no regard for him whatsoever. So here's how Justin Trudeau made the announcement that if you wanted to run for the Liberal Party of Canada and become a member of Parliament, this is what you'd have to support. Uh, but as a party, uh, we are steadfast in our belief and our position, and certainly our positions as government, uh, is that it is not uh, for any government to legislate uh, what happened, what a woman chooses to do with her body. And that is uh, the bottom line there. I have uh, made it clear that uh, future candidates uh, need to uh, be uh, completely uh, understanding that they will be expected to vote uh, pro-choice. Yeah, you heard that correctly. Justin Trudeau is essentially saying that no member of parliament of the Liberal Party of Canada can ever vote for a pro-life law, even if, let's say, that law were to restrict abortion at the eighth month of pregnancy, or even if that law should, say, uh, try to protect babies right around the time of viability when they can actually survive outside the womb. No, in Justin Trudeau's Liberal Party, you must support abortion throughout all nine months of pregnancy for any reason or for no reason at all, and if you do not, you have no place in his party. This is extraordinarily extreme. This policy was not held by two of the previous leaders who failed to become Prime Minister, Michael Ignatieff and Stéphane Dion. It was not held by the two previous Liberal Prime Ministers that came after the R.V. Morgenthaler decision, Jean Chrétien and Paul Martin. This is a brand new policy created explicitly by Justin Trudeau to protect the most liberal, the most savage, and the most permissive abortion regime in the world. This is something that only Justin Trudeau thought up, that many liberal MPs were not aware of until he announced it at that press conference you just heard on basically in the House of Commons. And as a result, we have a Liberal Party of Canada, which is so rigid in its support for Canada's nine months all feticide free-for-all that not even Justin Trudeau's father, the Prime Minister Pierre Trudeau, who initially decriminalized abortion in 1969, would be eligible to run for his own party. Pierre Trudeau, of course, uh, decriminalized abortion, but felt that at some point abortion was morally wrong, and he was the one who ensured that there were still some restrictions in place initially, and of course that would mean he could not be a member of his son's new Liberal Party, which has doubled down and supports abortion in any or all circumstances. So keep in mind here that when we're talking about Justin Trudeau's obsession with abortion, we are talking about the fact that he is more extreme than any previous liberal leader on the issue of abortion, including his father, Pierre.
Second of all, Justin Trudeau is not, as I mentioned earlier, just a run-of-the-mill left-wing political leader who happens to be supportive of abortion like so many of them are. As I mentioned earlier, Canada is the most radical abortion regime in the world, and he supports a regime that would not be supported by most left-wing or liberal leaders in any other Western country. And so you won't find Emmanuel Macron saying abortion should be illegal up until nine months of pregnancy. You won't find Theresa May advocating for abortion's legality up to nine months of pregnancy. You won't find Angela Merkel of Germany, which actually has quite strict abortion laws, advocating for abortion up until nine months of pregnancy. And that is because even those who unfortunately support abortion at some stage recognize that abortion is barbaric at certain stages. Pro-lifers, of course, would point out the fact that abortion is barbaric in all stages, but only Justin Trudeau, among all of the Western leaders, is so blind that he doesn't think that abortion should be restricted at any point. Justin Trudeau stands alone among liberal leaders, liberal prime ministers, and left-wing so-called progressive leaders across the Western world in his support for abortion throughout all nine months of pregnancy for any reason or for no reason at all. In fact, Justin Trudeau responded prior to his election as prime minister uh, to questions about the issue of gender side, which the CBC, which is Canada's state broadcaster, had revealed was actually taking place in Canada, that there were women who were actually getting tests on their babies to find out what gender they were and then were uh, opting for abortion if those babies turned out to be girls. When Justin Trudeau was asked if he opposed that, he couldn't even say he opposed abortion when abortion was specifically used as a tool to eliminate baby girls. As Mark Stein once said, kind of ironically, he said it looks like the woman's right to choose can mean that women have the right to choose for there to be no more women. Let's say uh, a woman comes to you, she says she's pregnant with a girl, and she wants to terminate the life of the child because it's a girl. What would you say to her? My uh, position has been very clear. The Liberal Party is the party of standing up for people's rights, uh, and uh, the uh, Liberal Party will always be uh, the party of the Charter. So we will continue to stand up for people's rights and not legislate them away. So to be clear, you wouldn't discourage her from having an abortion because it's a girl? My role as a leader of the Liberal Party is to make sure that uh, Canadian legislation respects people's rights, and that's what I will continue to do. But yesterday you said you're happy with the status quo on abortion, but right now the status quo is that it's perfectly fine to abort a child because it's a girl. Do you have no problems with that? I will uh, leave discussions uh, like that between uh, a woman and uh, the health professionals uh, uh, that she encounters. I don't think uh, that government should be in the business of legislating away people's rights, and that's why the Liberal Party is steadfast in this position. Throughout his career, Justin Trudeau has talked about abortion as a fundamental right, despite the fact that Prime Minister Stephen Harper enforced the abortion status quo and even worked behind the scenes to ensure that pro-life motions would not reach the floor of the House of Commons. Justin Trudeau constantly portrayed the Conservative Party of Canada as a threat to abortion rights. He once even suggested that the province of Quebec should secede if pro-life legislation was ever passed in Canada. Think about that for a minute. Justin Trudeau is more willing to tear up the nation of Canada than he is to countenance the sort of legislation that exists in nations like Germany or France or the United Kingdom. This is genuinely ridiculous and highlights just how extreme he is. 
We don't just have his comments on abortion or his new policy that ensures that the Liberal Party supports abortion throughout all nine months of pregnancy as evidence for his abortion obsession. There's also the fact that abortion is one of the issues that he consistently pushes on and has from almost the moment he became Prime Minister. Now, you'd think that in a country where abortions are paid for by the taxpayer and when abortions are legal right up until birth, that there isn't much more that you can do. Uh, but you'd be wrong, because Justin Trudeau has managed to find plenty of things to do. So he pledged $81 million to the UN Population Fund, which funds abortion. He uh, pressured Prince Edward Island to begin offering abortion on the island by threatening to withhold health funding unless they started to offer abortions on the island. And many of you will know that Prince Edward Island was one of the only jurisdictions in Canada that was abortion-free for many, many years. In response to Trump's defunding of abortion uh, services overseas through the uh, so-called Mexico City policy, Trudeau announced an abortion fund of $650 million bucks. $650 million bucks for developing countries to make up for the lost cash. In other words, uh, Justin Trudeau is not only expecting the Canadian public to fund the abortions happening in Canada, which is about 100,000 abortions every single year, about one quarter of all pregnancies ending in abortion. Justin Trudeau is also taking money out of the public treasury, out of the pockets of Canadian taxpayers, and using that cash to fund abortions overseas because Justin Trudeau is the kind of progressive who sees starving people in Africa and thinks emptying their uteruses is the right way to go. He's the kind of progressive that sees people who need rain and wants it to make it rain rubbers. He's the kind of guy who is so obsessed with pelvic issues and abortion that he is willing to take tens of millions of dollars and give it not to education, to not to health care, but to give it for abortion. This is the kind of person that we are dealing with here in Canada as our ruler. And that, in fact, is not the end of the list, although I really wish it was. When he visited Ireland prior to the abortion referendum last year on May the 25th, Trudeau pushed the Irish Prime Minister Leo Varadkar on the legalization of abortion and, and this was really nauseating to watch. Leo Varadkar declared himself a feminist after this meeting because he claimed Trudeau had explained what that meant to him. And now he was, in fact, a feminist. Those of you who followed that situation will remember that Leo Varadkar and Simon Harris, his reptilian health minister, were actually very pro-life when they were running for office, switched to very pro-abortion when they got elected. And I have a very heavy suspicion that a lot of Leo Varadkar's sudden passion for abortion came from the fact that he wanted to sit at the cool kids' table at places like Davos with Justin Trudeau, which is why they, they showed off each other's socks. They both wore these, these really, really peppy socks because, you know, they're the new, the cool, the urban, liberal progressives in an age where everything seems to be going wrong with the election of Donald Trump and Brexit. And so, yeah, we had our prime minister head over to Ireland which was one of the last places in Europe which protected preborn life in the womb in their constitution and urged them to overturn a fundamental part of their laws. Our prime minister did that. And of course, when the Irish did vote to legalize abortion, Justin Trudeau congratulated them and phoned Leo Varadkar to congratulate him on getting with the abortion program. The liberals are actually trying to impose their extreme abortion 
extreme abortion views on parliamentary committees. Many of you might remember that a female conservative MP was not allowed to become chair of the status of women because of her pro-life views, because Justin Trudeau thinks that if you don't believe what he believes on women's rights, then you're not a good enough woman and you don't have the right to become the chair of the status of woman committee. When one conservative MP actually asked one of Justin Trudeau's cabinet ministers whether or not money that we were sending overseas was funding illegal abortions, that minister responded by defending Trudeau's government's abortion record and stating that they believed in abortion passionately, which, if you think about it, probably means yes. Canadian taxpayer dollars are funding organizations like Marie Stopes, which is regularly getting kicked out of African countries for performing illegal abortions. So there you have it, a long list, and the list gets even longer, of different things Justin Trudeau has been doing to push for abortion since he got in. And I didn't even take a look at the one that exploded on international news uh, last year and the year before, which was Justin Trudeau's decision to insert an abortion attestation into the Canada Summer Jobs Program. For those of you who have missed this news, the Canada Summer Jobs Program was a program that students could apply for and get some of their wages paid for. It was a way for them just to get a summer job, work where they wanted to. And a lot of pro-life groups used this funding to hire summer students. Well, this got discovered, and Justin Trudeau, of course, was outraged at the fact that pro-life students were also using a government program intended for everyone. And so he inserted this attestation that anybody applying for the funds had to sign off on that said you supported abortion, you supported LGBT rights, basically a laundry list of liberal progressive uh, policies. This just exploded. He was especially uh, choked that the organization where I serve as communications director of the Canadian Centre for Bioethical Reform have been making use of this program several times. In fact, he mentioned our organization in the House of Commons and on the road. And the bridgehead, uh, my blog, actually got quoted in the House of Commons several times. So Justin Trudeau was just livid when he discovered that young Canadian pro-life students were using a government program to do pro-life work and and advocate on behalf of the youngest Canadians. And of course, this erupted into a firestorm that had the Liberals suddenly realizing that there are a lot more Canadian pro-lifers than they originally thought, because churches and charities and nonprofit organizations were saying, look, we didn't want to talk about abortion. We didn't want to take a position on this. But if you're going to make us actually sign a statement saying we agree with abortion, we can't do that. So if you're asking us to pick a side, turns out we're not on your side. And so that kerfuffle lasted for months and months and months with Justin Trudeau refusing to back down because he just assumes everybody is extreme on the abortion issue as he is. So the question is why? Why is Justin Trudeau so obsessed with abortion? And to answer that question, we have to go back and take a look at Justin Trudeau's family. As I mentioned before, his father, Pierre Elliott Trudeau, was the prime minister before he was. In fact, he became prime minister in 1968. He was known as a charismatic and youthful liberal, despite the fact that he was 48 years old at the time. But he was also a bachelor, and a lot of women fell in love with him. I remember actually watching some newsreel footage back in university of a young woman. She was probably like in her late teens or early 20s, rushing across the street uh, at the House of Commons and kissing him directly on the lips and running away. So this was sort of... Uh, a scene that followed old man Trudeau wherever he went. He was known 
uh, as a bit of a rock star. In fact, he dated rock stars like Barbara Streisand, and he triggered something that became known as Trudeau mania. What most people didn't know at the time is the year before, in 1967, uh, Trudeau had actually met a young woman in Tahiti named Margaret Sinclair. Margaret Sinclair was substantially younger than he was, uh, so when he married her, she was only 22 years old, 22 years old, and he was over 50. So you can do the math there. They appeared very happy and in love, and they got married on March 4th, 1971. They were married for about 13 years, and during the course of this time, they had three children. The oldest one, Justin Trudeau, was born on December 25, 1971, Christmas Day. And this marriage disintegrated extremely quickly. After only a few years of marriage, uh, what was originally known as a fairy tale wedding totally disintegrated because, well, we found out later that Margaret Trudeau or Margaret Sinclair had a lot of mental health issues that she struggled with, but she also chafed upon going from her life as a flower child to a very restrictive life as the wife of the Prime Minister of Canada. And that Prime Minister, despite the fact that he liberalized virtually every law on every moral issue he could get his hands on, well, considered himself to be quite a religious Catholic, although a, a liberal Jesuit Catholic, which meant he could sort of more or less do whatever he wanted in the meantime. And she cracked under the stress. Their marriage didn't last long. Their brawls were epic. And in fact, it was widely reported and listed in their later biographies that Pierre Trudeau even gave her a black eye uh, once or twice. So that's, that's how bad their marriage became. And as a result, the Trudeau children had to watch the very public disintegration of their parents' marriage, which finally included Margaret Trudeau leaving Ottawa and partying it up at a very famous hotspot in New York City known as Studio 54, where she hung out with Andy Warhol and the Rolling Stones and racked up a long list of affairs with various celebrities and in fact, she was actually known to have had an affair with Senator Ted Kennedy, for example, while she was still married to the Prime Minister of Canada. So Justin Trudeau's parents had a very turbulent marriage, and Justin Trudeau, as the eldest child, had a front row seat to all of this. Keep in mind that Justin Trudeau's father, Pierre Trudeau, is known as the man who brought the sexual revolution to Canada. That 1969 legislation that I mentioned earlier on in the podcast that legalized abortion also decriminalized divorce, homosexuality, and a long list of other things. And so he became famous for bringing the sexual revolution that was sweeping the West to the cold country of Canada with his famous quip that the state has no business in the bedrooms of the nation. So obviously Justin Trudeau's father, Pierre Trudeau, who's the father of Canada's sexual revolution, has a lot to do with Justin Trudeau's views. And in fact, Justin has actually cited Pierre Trudeau as his inspiration in a lot of interviews, saying his father was a Catholic and disagreed with a lot of things, but still championed their legalization. That sort of allows Justin Trudeau to explain his moral schizophrenia as he still describes himself as a Catholic, while essentially championing virtually every behavior the Catholic Church has a problem with. But I would actually point out as well that Pierre Trudeau, more than in just his political career, modeled a pro-choice ethic for Justin and his sons. 
For example, while he was still married to Margaret Trudeau, he was philandering with a wide number of mistresses. And in fact, when Margaret Trudeau actually asked him once whether or not he was actually dating someone and had a girlfriend at a certain event, Pierre Trudeau shot back not one, but two. And of course, the sons saw all of this. They heard the fights. They knew their father had a string of girlfriends while still married to their mother. And actually, long after he left politics, Pierre Trudeau fathered a daughter, Sarah Coyne, at the age of 71, uh, with the lawyer Deborah Coyne. And an interesting twist of historical trivia here, when Justin Trudeau was running for the Liberal Party of Canada, he was running against Deborah Coyne, who was a lawyer. Deborah Coyne had an affair with his father and thus gave birth to Sarah Coyne, who would be Justin Trudeau's half-sister, if you managed to follow that. But Pierre Trudeau, when he discovered that the mistress he was sleeping with had become pregnant with the girl who would become his only daughter, announced that he had no intention of actually functioning as a father to this girl, that he would prefer to play the role of distant uncle, and when Deborah Coyne was considering moving to Montreal with her daughter Sarah, Pierre discouraged it because he just didn't want to see his daughter around that much. And so he had a very pro-choice approach to fatherhood. He only wanted to see his daughter when it was good for him, and even then, he obviously had no intention of actually serving as a father figure uh, to his own daughter. So there's both Pierre Trudeau's uh, political status as the father of Canada's sexual revolution and the man who decriminalized abortion, but there's also the fact that Pierre Trudeau's sons, including his eldest Justin, watched him live a very pro-choice and very promiscuous lifestyle in virtually every sense of that term. But I think when we're uh, looking closely at the parents of Justin Trudeau, and we tried to ask ourselves, who truly influenced his abortion obsession? Why is Justin Trudeau so fixated on this issue particularly? Why does he continually bring it up? Why isn't he just an ordinary pro-choice politician who supports abortion as a matter of course, but instead feels the need to make it the center of his political career in so many instances? And I think for that, you end up having to look at Margaret Trudeau. You have to take a look at his mother, who obviously he loved very, very much. Now, Margaret Trudeau actually expressed her support for abortion and birth control very early on. She said that her views on those issues were very liberal, and later on in this totally train wreck interview that she granted to Playgirl in uh, 1979, this interview was so awful that Vanity Fair would later refer to it as one of the biggest mistakes of her life. She told the magazine that she had an abortion at the age of 17. So this would be before she met Pierre Trudeau, obviously. But yet she had a little boy or a little girl growing inside her that she aborted before she met Justin Trudeau's father. Now, there's no way Justin Trudeau doesn't know this. His mother has probably told him if she you know, was telling a porn magazine. And this has probably affected Justin Trudeau very, very profoundly. Any pro-life activist will tell you that if you meet somebody who's extremely and vehemently pro-choice, and even after you've worked through all the arguments about why abortion is wrong, but they're responding very viscerally and emotionally to the issue of abortion, it's probably because somebody they love very much has had one. And they don't feel as if they're defending abortion per se, but they feel like they're defending that person that they love. Someone whose mother has had an abortion is often not defending abortion, they're defending their mother. 
if they actually admit that abortion is killing a human being, they're in some ways forced to admit that their mother did something terrible. And so this explains to a certain degree why Justin Trudeau is so obsessed with abortion. And it's interesting, Margaret Trudeau, much like Pierre himself, had a very schizophrenic view on abortion. After giving birth to her own children, Justin himself being the oldest, she said, and I quote, Because I have been pregnant and given life, I find that personally I really believe a child to be alive from the moment it is conceived. That's a mixture of a spiritual and physical feeling. That doesn't mean I don't think women should have abortion made available to them. I can certainly see many instances where that is really the best way. And you have to wonder if she's referring to the abortion of Justin's half-brother or sister there. And one of the things that's interesting, when I was reading through some of uh, Justin Trudeau's backstory and his history uh, during the 2015 election period, I stumbled across an article by Jonathan Kay, who now writes for Quillette and the National Post. And he was actually one of Justin Trudeau's ghostwriters. He helped write Justin Trudeau's truly awful memoir. I, I, I read it uh, prior to the election, and it's just a truly awful book to read. It's cloying. It's full of cliches. But anyways, that's besides the point. Uh, Jonathan Kay describes what he learned about Justin Trudeau's relationship with his mother. So think about this in the context of what we've just discussed. Quote, this is from Jonathan Kay. What remains in my memory are the stories from Trudeau's childhood. It's one thing for daddy to leave. That happens all the time, sadly. But when mommy walks out, that's something very different. We are conditioned to think of a mother's love as the one unshakable emotional pillar of a child's life. When that pillar folds up and walks out the front door, how do you keep the roof from collapsing? Many ordinary people recover psychologically from that kind of rejection, and Justin's case was far from ordinary because the whole world knew he'd become motherless. There she was on the pages of sleazy magazines, partying it up in a skimpy clothing in Studio 54. Trudeau's classmates showed these photos to him at school. Lots of, bo lots of boys endure yo mama taunts, but not all of them come with a glossy, full-color index. A need to deal with maternal rejection doesn't just define Justin Trudeau. It defines the attitudes of people around him. Once you enter his world and know something of the emotional pain he experienced as a youth, the knowledge knocks the metaphorical spoon out of his mouth. What good is the glitz of being Prime Minister's son when you're living a childhood parched of a mother's milk? You have to wonder, when you look at Justin Trudeau's parents and his relationship to his father and his mother, whether his obsession with abortion and the fact that he actually grows palpably angry when he's confronted with this issue. You can see a lot of video footage of House of Commons debates, and when the subject of abortion comes out, his eyes are flashing, he's angry, he's full of rage. And why is that? There are plenty of pro-choice people who don't react with that kind of vitriol and that kind of anger when they're approached with this issue. And I think that that's explained by Justin Trudeau's history. The fact that his mother had an abortion and aborted his half-brother or his half-sister. The fact that he watched Pierre Trudeau model a pro-choice lifestyle almost his entire life, right? Pierre Trudeau didn't father his half-sister Sarah until age 71. So he's watched his family not only bring legal abortion to Canada, not only bring the sexual revolution to Canada, but live a lifestyle filled with promiscuity, affairs, and yes, even abortion. So when Justin Trudeau defends abortion, he's not just defending abortion. He's not just defending the pro-choice ideology. He is fundamentally defending the Trudeau family legacy. He is fundamentally defending the choices that his father and his mother made. That is why Justin Trudeau 
has become the world's most pro-abortion leader, and that is why abortion is central and fundamental to Justin Trudeau's career, because there is no other leader who has abortion as entrenched in his past, has the sexual revolution uh, as, as such a, a huge and enormous part of both their childhood and growing up years. And so Canada now has a prime minister whose entire life has been shaped by abortion and the sexual revolution. And unfortunately, Justin Trudeau is determined to make the same mistakes that his parents did. We're seeing 300 preborn babies die every single day, 100,000 babies every single year. I've been through dumpsters in Canada, dumpsters behind abortion clinics, and I've seen what aborted babies look like. I've seen tiny, shattered corpses. I remember seeing one little arm that was probably maybe two inches from, from the shoulder to the tip of the finger, severed. That's what abortion is. And Justin Trudeau's half-brother or half-sister ended up in a dumpster somewhere, just like the little baby that I saw, because of a choice that his mother made. And that is a choice that Justin Trudeau will never stop defending. And because he won't stop defending it, because he has a drive to defend the bloody legacy of the Trudeau family, he must ensure the entire Canadian public that this is no big deal. He must push the Irish Prime Minister to bring this bloody practice to Ireland. He must take our tens of millions of dollars and try to fund abortions in Africa. He must convince himself, above all, that there's nothing wrong with abortion, because if there is, his family has a lot to account for. Thanks, everyone, so much for listening to the first episode of The Culture Wars. We hope you'll join us again next week. You can find us on SoundCloud, on iTunes, or you can head over to thebridgehead.ca, where you'll find both this podcast, our previous interview podcast, and articles that are put up every day tracking what's going on from the front lines of The Culture Wars. Thanks so much again, and we hope you'll join us again next week.